Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturgis. Man, it was that miraculous provision provided, made available from God, that wasn't made of anything. Let's jump right into Scripture, okay? They are literally weeks into the uh, uh, journey, okay? If you're new in faith, who is they? God's people, the Israelites. Old Testament, the books, uh, the first four or five books of the Bible, it's told in Exodus, it's revisited in the book of Deuteronomy. They're really only weeks uh, into the journey and they're hungry. They're hungry because they're in a barren, arid wilderness that can't sustain a million and a half people. No way it can be sustained. There they are in the wilderness. And let me just ask this question. Anybody ever made a trip to the wilderness where you thought, I don't know how I'm going to get through here, how I'm going to survive it, how I'm going to live through this? Okay, we'll, we'll get there. But, but what happens when we find ourselves in that moment? So here we are in the wilderness, and admittedly, they didn't handle it the best way. They began grumbling and complaining, and yet God provided for them anyway. But I want to focus on specifically the provision of manna. Now, the passage we're about to look at in Deuteronomy, it's Moses reflecting on how it happened and we're, then we're going to go backwards, if you will, to Exodus 16 and look at the passage of Scripture where it sort of happened in real time. But in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, it says, He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, and here's where I want to focus, fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Now, that is a huge, huge point. Please listen to me closely right here because we tend to write that off as just some sort of poetic illusion. But what is being stated here is God says, I want you to understand that your ability to sustain yourself in life and satisfy the hungers that life will bring you, even in the midst of a wilderness situation where you think I'm gonna starve to death before I get through here, God said, you won't live by the visible things around you. I can see the same wilderness. I see that there's not the possibility for you to be sustained by your environment. Let me be a little more specific in what I hadn't intended to, to go into. What is that wilderness for each of us? What is the point of hunger in your life? What's that nagging thing? And you look around and say, there's nothing or no one who can help satisfy that hunger that's going on in me. Well, the first thing, of course, is to identify what that hunger is. I won't get to chase that a lot today. But here comes the reality. God said, I don't care about your environment. I don't care who's there. I don't care what you bring to the party. I have the ability to sustain you amply as you move through the wilderness, and you're going to survive it. You're going to make it through the wilderness. So what he's saying is man doesn't live, listen, by bread alone, that's the visible, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, the way that's boiled down by the time you go to the New Testament, and G the only place that Jesus really teaches or talks about manna in great detail is in John 6. We'll come to that in a little while. And one verse that I didn't include, I don't think I included in my list of verses, was Jesus sort of wrapping up everything, and he says, I want you to know, watch this link. He says, I am the bread that's come down out of heaven. And he said, I am the bread, and my words are bread. They are spirit, and they are life. I want to tell you that he clearly builds an amazing bridge we need to understand. 
And simply put, it's this. The Holy Spirit is now that sustaining force inside you, at work in you, appropriating what I talked about a moment ago, the provisions from an unseen realm that will satisfy the hunger of our soul when nothing else can. I'm gonna get to that, all right? Now, Deuteronomy chapter eight, when it says in verse three, it says, and fed you with manna, and two things I wanna point out, which you did not know nor did your fathers know. Now, the reason I'm bringing that up is because this reflects the incomprehensibility of what happened. You can't describe it. There's nothing like it. Your fathers have never seen anything like it. You've never seen anything like it because it's not made from anything anyone's ever seen, and that's where the full weight of this comes. He says, this isn't made from anything you've seen or you've known. This is made straight from the Word of God from an invisible dimension, to this moment, manna, the word, what is it, is still called manna. For 40 years, for every day, they would go out every morning for 40 years and collect manna off the ground. They never changed its name. It's always what is it. And here's what I was trying to get to last week. As we move through the wilderness of this world with all the hungers we will be presented to, all, uh, with all the desperation that faces us, how we will survive is by the Word of God. And the moment the Word of God begins to live in us and that Holy Spirit who brings alive the bread of life out of heaven, that is the Word of God, and He writes it on our soul. And the moment we begin somehow to feel that that hunger is satisfied, and he would even go on in the next chapter of John 7 and say, and your thirst quenched by that same Holy Spirit. Every time that happens, there'll be no explanation for it. Every time that happens, it'll be, what is it? I, I, I just don't know. How many know that that's great to live in the grip of, I don't know? How many know it's great to live in the grip of what is it? And you say, I'm not gonna say amen, Pastor, because I don't think that's great at all. I wanna know. Great, get over it. I'm 62 years old, and certainty has gone out the window since the inception of mankind. We want certainty. With God or with God, there is no certainty. Somebody needs to hear me. So how do we live in a world that, like it or not, God didn't ever say, I would remove uncertainty. He said, I would be the factor of faith in your life that makes uncertainty an absolutely powerless reality in your life. Why? Because I begin to look around and say, well, there's nothing here that can get me through this. And God says, that's all right. I'm not working with anything around you anyways. I don't know a better way to say it without going into one of my sci-fi speeches. You know, both Star Trek and Star Wars had these little matter-antimatter devices that they would go stand in front of it and they would say, Make me a meal of steak and whatever. So the, the machine has the power to grab matter, uh, energy, convert it to matter, and make it uh, into some substance. And that's just absolutely amazing. And who knows, at some point they may do it, but right now they can't. That means they're making something out of nothing, out of, in, out of just invisible. But see, that I, I don't want to chase that any further, but I don't know that I can get that point across that what you will need at the deepest moments of your life won't be made from anything you see, won't be made from anything your fathers knew or you knew. It will be God in the moment saying, I'm, I'm, I'm showing up to satisfy 
the hunger of your soul. Okay, Exodus chapter 16. I just need to get these verses in your brain so you can go home and read them. Uh, verse 4. Now, this is going back in history. Deuteronomy 8 was a, was a reflection from Moses. Now, we're going back to the actual timeline. Uh, verse 4, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instructions. How many know life, forget just a life of faith, life is getting up every day and going at it, but how many know there's no promise like the promise from the Father that says tomorrow morning you're gonna get up and what you will need I promise to provide for you. Every day for 40 years and every day they got up, went, their hunger was satisfied and they still said, what is it? I wanna bring the what is it factor to bear. Hallelujah, because the what is it, nothing changes our life like the what is it moment, or what on earth is that, or dear Lord, where is that, where did it come from, okay? John chapter six, this is the people speaking to, uh, to Jesus because he had given, he had multiplied the fish and the loaves the previous day. In verse 31, they're talking. I laughed out loud to myself. As a matter of fact, I made the note in my Bible and then went in and told Brenda. I said, this is so funny because I do believe that we are to speak and declare the word of God. I believe we are to declare the word of God in our prayer time, but this is an entirely different thing. See, they're talking with Jesus. Jesus has said, you've just come back because I multiplied the fish and the bread, now you're back again. So verse 31, watch this. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Now, I didn't include the verse that, just, that said, what are you gonna do to show us? You see, you can say that's a pretty snotty attitude. We've all been there. I've been there. I've been there. I've been there when I am not declaring the word of God, I'm reminding the Lord of the word and saying, why aren't you doing something differently? Dude, you said it. Isaiah is one of those. I, I love it. And uh, what is it, 40 or 43? And, and he, says, he says, hey, have you forgotten us? Habakkuk's even better. Habakkuk, go look that one up, okay? If you're new in faith, it's uh, one of the minor prophets toward the end of the first half of the Bible. This guy represents, I love, I love the fact that Habakkuk and the apostle Peter are in the Bible. I know I'm gonna get in. I mean, if Habakkuk and Peter, God, I mean, God should have just absolutely gone and crushed both of them under his thumb. Habakkuk says, hey, what are you doing? You're using the Chaldeans? Those guys are dogs. The Chaldeans, seriously? I mean, the Chaldeans? And then God says to Habakkuk, close your mouth, stand your place, Listen to what I have to say, write the vision, and make it plain so that those who may read it, read it may run with it. He goes, yes, sir, and then he starts writing. I mean, let me tell you, all through the Bible, so you don't have to fear, you, if you've ever thought those, you can, I mean, I don't say it's necessary to go say them out loud, but I've said that to God. I mean, I've been in moments saying, dude, really? What's up? I've done done da 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 You should be hooking a brother up by now. Come on, it's there, all right? So Jesus responds, 
No, no, I, what I want to point to here is the phrase out of heaven because it's so critical in this passage. Back to uh, chapter six of John, uh, Amanda. Jesus then said to them, truly I say to you, it is not Moses who gave you bread out of heaven, here it comes, but it is my Father who gives you true bread out of heaven, all right? For the bread of God which comes down out of heaven, fourth time, and gives, for, for the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. So Jesus clears that up. He said, then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. And he said, Jesus said, I am the bread. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. There's that factor. There's that factor. See, here's the promise of God to each of us. That in the midst as we're facing a wilderness with horrible circumstances, situations, we look around. There's nothing to sustain me, nothing to satisfy this driving hunger. Jesus said, we don't do manna like they did manna. I was the last manna. I came and I now live in you and I'm gonna satisfy the hunger and I'm gonna sustain you to get you through the wilderness. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to find the best possible way to, to say this. Let me tell you, when we, read the word, when we read the word heaven, we typically think of what one theologian calls the mythological localization beyond the clouds. I love it. We always leap there. But in the Bible... The, the heaven, the phrase heaven or heavens is used three different ways. Number one is our immediate atmosphere. Number two is sort of outer space. It's used that way. And then the, the, the last one, generally speaking, however you may define it, the home of God. But that last one is sort of that invisible dimensionlessness. There's, there's nothing else you can call it. it it's, it's getting outside and into God, and it is absolutely incomprehensible. But here's the good news. When he says he made you bread out of heaven, he said, I caused, I created what you needed to sustain you in that world, but it didn't come from that world. It didn't come from anything you'd ever seen. I, I'm praying that God will awaken our faith here this morning. Now, I want to give you some examples. <clears throat> um, the, uh, I want to make sure I got across what I was supposed to get across. Okay. Now, I've got principle number two. I missed number one. No, I got that. Out of heaven, okay? Manna, manna defies exact description. Watch this. Yet it has the power to sustain me. Well, what are you talking about? I'm not talking about manna, manna. I'm talking about Jesus Christ alive in me because that's what he said is the new manna, the real manna in, manna in me. Now, I'm, I'm just going to give you some examples where that shows up in Scripture. And it hit me this week as I was sharing some things at a memorial service um, for Lauren Altimos. And, uh, and her, her mom and, and stepdad are, are here this morning, and I'm not, that's not an insensitive. Matter of fact, they're people we love. It's uh, Elaine and Jody Tarleton. But as I was praying and preparing as I was coming to that memorial service, <laughs> I was faced once again with the reality of grief. How, how, how on earth, how on earth, how on earth? See, right there. When, when you start your prayer, your description, the utterance or the groaning of your soul, when you say, Lord, how on earth can I See, the good news is the answer that he has for us, it doesn't come from earth. It doesn't come from around us. You say, oh, dude, you're getting into this old metaphysical stuff. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. No. Watch, okay? Mm. 
I need to talk about hunger, but I'm not this morning. What do I do? What does a family do? And again, I'm, I am not seizing upon their pain as the anvil of illustration on which to hammer out a sermon. Nothing could be more cruel. We've already talked about that. They've already shared back the testimony of the deep sense of God's presence in the face of grief. But what do we do when there's a grief? Philippians chapter 4 says, be anxious in nothing. That word meramnao means to divide in two. The poetic picture of it is this. Now, now remember, here's, I want you to get how we're building the bridge because I've chosen scriptures that has to do with our inability to comprehend the source. When Philippians says that God will give you a peace that passes understanding, hang with me here. Do you remember what Moses said? What God is about to give you, your fathers didn't know, you didn't know, you will never understand where it came from. Every day for 40 years you will eat it, and 40 years from now you will not be able to offer any more description of where it came from, how it got to you, and how it satisfied your hunger. All you will be able to pass on to your kid is every, kids are every day for 40 years we got up, and what is it was there. When I was saying, how on earth will I survive the wilderness? God says, you won't on earth but I have an answer with bread out of heaven, and that's what he calls it, with sustenance from another dimension that will satisfy the pain of your soul. So let's use that Philippians 4 passage. What do I do when I stand in a moment of grief that's tearing my mind in half? What on earth can I do? God said, I will give you bread out of heaven that you don't understand. And he says this word, I will give you peace that passes understanding. What will I do when the struggle in the wilderness of life just seek to suck the life right out of me, Peter rises up and he says, I have another what is it factor. It's called joy, what is it, and full of glory. Joy unspeakable that no one can describe, not only not your fathers, not the, when the circumstances in my life, again, are just ripping me in half. What about Romans chapter 16 and 18 and Philippians chapter 3? Watch this. He says, you will be driven like people who live there for the gods of this world. Look at scripture. It says, for such men are slaves. Go back to verse 18. Such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. Let me build the, the clear case here. Uh, and by Slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, their own appetites are their Lord. What do you mean by that? What is your appetite? What is the point of brokenness you're trying to fill anywhere else besides God? God's word says that becomes that which you worship. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 19. It says, for to, to whose hen is destruction, whose God is their appetite. We live in a world that says you need to worship where you can get your appetite satisfied. And Jesus says, no, you worship me, only I can satisfy that appetite. With what is it? See? Father, we need to get this. Let me tell you something. I preach to husbands and wives, and I've told you before just in open testimony and simplicity, what you see of us is what you get. I believe we have the most wonderful marriage, and I'm not being arrogant. 
I'm making that, that declaration. We both love God, honor God uh, in each other, through each other, with each other, and I am just humbly thankful for the amazing marriage that we have. But let me tell you something, as amazing as she is, she is my helpmeet, I am her helpmeet, I walk with her, I believe that that means I am called alongside her, that parakaleo, to call forth the purposes of God. I am a partner in redemption with Jesus Christ in our marriage. I am a partner with Jesus Christ to serve the highest purposes in her, to just be a partner of pulling them to the surface of life. But I am not God. And amazing, as amazing and astounding as this may be a discovery for you, I am not able to satisfy every hunger of her soul. I know you couldn't believe that would be possibly true. And here's what I wanna say. There will come a point for some of you here today when there's gonna be this eye-opening moment because you spent 20 years or 15, 10, six, eight, or 30, or 40 blaming that person for not being able to satisfy the hunger of your soul. Please hear me, they are not God, only God is. And the sooner you look beyond and say, Father, I have been doing like everybody else in the world. I've been trying to find that significant other who's just going to make me complete and make me whole. They can't make you whole because only one God is holy and has the capacity to make whole, and it's not her, it's not him. Man, I love her like, like crazy, but I don't lay at her feet the responsibility that only God can bring. You see, I don't worship the gods of this world that said, satisfy your appetite here, there. That is an endless, ceaseless, and never fulfilling journey. Anybody tracking with what I'm, what I'm after here? Okay, let's keep going. Luke chapter 15 is the story of the prodigal son, and it uses the word appetite. It says he listened to the wrong voices, went, play, uh, uh, went places he shouldn't have gone, done things he should have never done, and he ends up in a pig pen, says what? Trying to satisfy his appetite. But then suddenly, he awakened to himself, he went back to the farm, and he found the only sustenance that could satisfy his soul in a relationship with God. I'm praying that in some fashion, there's a what is it visitation here today. In Ephesians chapter three, it mentions a love that can't be measured or fully known. It's a what is it factor. I've got a much longer list of the what is it factor going on in our life. But I wanna tell you, I just wanna testify this Friday, and see here's the thing about not going into details, but it would just take too long and it's too much information. Because when I say to you that on Friday throughout the morning, Brenda and I had been praying together, deep emotion, deeply moved, feeling the weight of the need that we were carrying. I would dare say, and I'm not, being, I'm not exaggerating, that it was nearly one of the just most crushing moments of life, and God, how on earth, there it is, are we gonna navigate through this? How on earth are we gonna, we gonna navigate through this and help these people and do this? I mean, it was just, she will tell you, but am I overstating that? No, it's there. This was throughout the morning, two or three hours, come noontime, uh, I, I missed a phone call from, from someone and, <clears throat> And so this, uh, he, he's a bishop uh, in our church, and he, he previously served in the executive committee. And I'll just tell you his name's David Griffiths. I hadn't heard from, from Bishop Griffiths in two years. 
And we're right in the middle. In other words, I had just finished standing on our front porch together, join hands, and we're praying and saying, Father, just a, a, a pathway forward in Jesus' name. Open the door here, create it, because it doesn't look like there is one. I, I, I just really can't, probably notwithstanding the loss of, the, of a loved one, or that, that I just, I mean, we were really feeling and carrying the weight of this. We finished praying, and I said, hey, I have a missed call from, from David Griffiths, and I said, I need to return it to him, return it and see what's going on. So I, I call him back, and he says, Tom, he says, listen, he says, I know we haven't talked in a long time, but for some reason, I had a dream about you last night, and now I'm going I'm to just, just display to you, again, in summary fashion, just how exactly how carnal and fleshly your pastor is. Terrible thing. Okay. Well, there had been sort of an unresolved issue that had gone on with a very close friend of mine that I felt he could have influenced and didn't years ago. So he starts into the story. He says, I had a dream about you. And I said, wow. He said, it was this morning. He says, at 4.49 a.m. He said, I tried to call you about 8.30 or 9 o'clock, and he had. And he tried to call me before we had sort of been given the information and began praying and carrying this truly interceding and travailing for the Father. And, um, and so I said, yes, sir, I know that. I'm sorry I've been involved in something here. And I said, I'll tell you about it another time. So he starts telling the story. He says, in this dream, Tom, I was standing on a hill. It wasn't a mountain, but it was a hill. And you were going down a, a, the side of the hill into a valley. And the, the, the connotation was you were going into a valley. And it was a bad thing, not a good thing. And, and he says, and then this other person, whose name I'll withhold here this morning, this other person was standing beside me, and I knew him to be your good friend. And, and so I, I looked over at him, and I said, uh, how is Tom? And he says, well, he is really hurting, and he's angry and struggling. He's just, it's really just like crushing him. Well, I interrupted him. I didn't let him finish. I said, well... If you're in a dream with him and me, and I'm angry or hurt, let me tell you about something that's not been resolved for two and a half years, that I said, I can already tell you the rest of this dream. It wasn't the rest of the dream. I was deeply wrong. I've been waiting for two years to get to finally tell him what he needed to know. And he graciously listened to it all. Now, he listened to it all, he says, Tom, I'm, I'm so sorry that that happened, it's just not, that I, I just didn't know, I didn't understand this and that. And he says, trust me, I really didn't. And I said, well, I believe you, and I do, because he's a great brother. But and matter of fact, he's a, enough of a brother that I could risk sort of jumping out on a limb and saying what I want to say without much of a filter. And then at that moment, another phone call came that I had to take, and I said, Bishop, please forgive me. Now, see, I had interrupted his story. He says, well, anyways, I'm there on the hill, and I'm looking down, and then this phone call came. So not only have I interrupted his story once, but now twice, I said, I have to take this phone call. Well, in that phone call was information that was a massive reversal and an announcement that the things we had been praying for for two or three hours had actually were materializing in this world. And I'm telling you, beloved, not from this world, but from another world. It was a manna moment. It was a manna moment. So I got off the phone. I went out to the front porch. I said, Brenda, here's the call. Here's what's just happened with them. 
oh my, and we both just immediately tears running down our face in rejoicing and being, and being thankful. And I said, so I was out there for a few minutes. I said, oh, I got to call Bishop Griffiths back. I interrupted him. And then he started to tell me again. And then a phone call came. <clears throat> this is really funny and sad all at the same time. So I go back in, I call him, and I was able to get him again immediately. And he says, well, let, let, let me, he says, let, please let me finish this before we get interrupted again. I said, yes, sir. So he said, um, I was on a hill. He said, this person showed up. I asked him what was going on. He says, well, it's just, you know, this pressure is going. And he says, Tom, as corny and, and as simplistic as this may sound, he said, what happened? Watch. Now, everybody remember the sequence of what happened? I interrupted him, then the phone call with the information came and he couldn't tell me that part of the story. And he said, um, I looked down and, and I realized that what you were, were facing was just crushing you and devastating. And he says, then suddenly I looked up and he says, this huge hand came down out of the cloud and it came down out of the cloud and it went down sort of underneath you and, and around you and he said, what I believe to be the voice of God. Remember, this happened at 4.49 a.m. And he tried to tell me just before, but I was busy telling him what he needed to know. And yeah, I know that's just horrible. He said, this huge hand came down and it went down and down beyond you and around you and said, I won't let this go any farther. I absolutely, I couldn't even talk. Rejoicing, sobbing, slobbering. I turned, I said, Bishop, you're just gonna have to sit there for a minute. I turned around in my little junkie office to my keyboard. I just started singing to myself. I said, I'll be back to you in a minute. I just, I just had to worship. I just had to worship. I just had to worship because it was a man a moment. It was how on earth, and God said, it's not from earth. Now see, I may not have done still a great job, but I'm not giving up on preaching this sermon that I haven't done well on yet. I'm going to have another try next week. Because what I want us to come away with here, I think I like, the reason I like t-shirt moments is because I think of them as sort of spiritual armor under Ethan Dahl, and you'll know that. I've got one that says spirit time on it. I've got one that says I'm not for sale. You know, all of those for sermon series. I've, Matter of fact, help me remember, I'll bring all of my sermon t-shirts next week and display them. Because I came away from that thinking, okay, I've been shrouded with that, but I got a new t-shirt. <clears throat> the back. That's my new shout to hell. Because I had the t-shirt made before I thought, wait a minute, you see that, Drew? I didn't know if you could see that, okay? I need the question mark gone. So I'm gonna get another one made this week without the question mark because it was intended to be to, to somebody reading Got Manna, you know, like Got Milk, the old 20-year-old commercial, whatever it is. But I, I don't want it to be a question mark. I want it to be a declaration. I want it to be a declaration that steps up to the gates of hell because watch, watch, watch the language. He says, you, the church that is called out to call forth I want you to summon forth the kingdom, right? The kingdom of God over and against the gates of hell. Remember this? 
out of heaven, out of heaven, out of heaven. God says we're supposed to be manna people. We're supposed to be what is it people. We pray for what is it, even when we don't know what it is. That was, I, I gotta tell you, uh, Jody and Elaine, the, just a breakthrough prayer for me to step in to a situation like never before and to say, Father, I can't even begin to describe the grief and the pain. There's no way I know, but I know that there's a God and I know that I'm a part of a church. As a matter of fact, I, this is not being sensational. This is being what the church is about. Would you do this with me right now? Would everyone here, they're sitting right there over on this side. I want you to take a hand of covenant and extend it to them right now. Father, you said we're humans, we're, be, we're built here, and we will grieve. Your word says that. But you said we don't grieve like those who have no hope. We have hope, Father. Hallelujah. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Father, for points of brokenness and pain that this wilderness of life will absolutely assault us with, and we start looking and saying, how on earth can I survive? Father, I pray for a what is it blessing for my brother and my sister. I pray for manna out of heaven to feed their soul and bring peace that, Father, passes understanding, a joy that is unspeakable, a love that Paul said can't be known or measured. Just swallow them up in it. In the name of Jesus Christ, so be it. Amen. Can we give the Lord a praise for activation? No, I mean really, like shout unto God. Now, I want to ask you this morning. Go ahead and stand to your feet. I want to ask you this. I, I want that song that you changed to a minute ago, that even when I can't see it, because here's where I've been wanting to get, and I should have just taken the shorter path, probably, and prayed the prayer and not tried to describe it all. But I wanted you to hear the weight of the word so when you hear that God says that it comes from my word, you know what the word says. You need to know that because that's our starting point. What does the word of God say? So I want to ask this morning, who's here that says, you don't have to, you don't, you don't have to raise your hand. You can in a moment. But I want to ask the question. You're facing a wilderness situation. Can I tell you, I got a, I got a what is it phone call. How cool is that? I mean, where God says, I already woke somebody up, told them about your circumstance, and made him a prophet to declare the answer to you if you'd have just shut up long enough to hear it. I said, God, just keep working with me, please. I'm here. You know, I had to just, <laughs> I don't know. I think here's, here's the declaration. If God can get manna to me, you guys are easy, okay? You know, I need it. I'm trying to get it to you. There's some other things that I think in the next couple of weeks ahead, but I got to say one. You know, when you read Scripture, it comes, Lord, where do I find it? Exodus 16 says, uh, you'll just sort of get up every morning and as you go and walk. So what if that became our prayer? Father, there are people here, listen to me, listen, that need a what is it encounter. They need the word of God to rise above the face of every circumstance that they're facing. So just go ahead, if you're one like me that's sort of needing that, just, just lift up a hand to make it binding. They need that, Father. I need that this morning. And here's your word to us from the Old Testament. You don't have to look real hard, son. 
You don't have to look real hard. Just get up and go out tomorrow morning. You'll find it laying in your path. I'm gonna drop it right in your path. Father, there's people standing here that tomorrow morning they need what is it? They need something from another world. They need it right now. Put it in their path. As a matter of fact, make this that moment right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Bring the sustenance of the hunger of their soul, the pain and uncertainty of a wilderness experience. Right now, we need manna in Jesus' name. Now, I don't want you to do We're, we're, we're going to praise. But I just want you to start with that. Where's everybody else? Come out here. What are y'all doing over there? Get over here. These are the mannaites. Come up close. Come around. Come on. There you go. Now I want you to just start seeing, saying that. Even when, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. This morning, Lord, in the name of the living God, we love you and praise you. Stop working. Even when I don't see it, make things out of nothing. Even when I don't feel it, Hallelujah, Lord. Keep singing that. Father, for every person standing here that says, there's not the pieces of stuff to make the stuff that I need right now. Lord, just erase that. Erase that mentality and say, I don't need your stuff to make the stuff you need. It's out of heaven. Father, bring manna today. Bring manna in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.